Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, co-host Jacob Biding. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is Eric Crowley, a tech investment banker with GP Bullhound, focusing on consumer subscription software, enterprise software, and financial technology. With investments in companies ranging from Spotify to Fishbrain and clients such as Alltrails, Partnerize, and Motif, GP Bullhound provides transaction advice and capital to many of the leaders in the consumer subscription software space. Prior to joining GP Bullhound, Eric was a senior executive at a leading education SaaS company focusing on corporate finance and strategy. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. That's quite a bio. Yeah, thanks, David. Hey, Jacob. Good to see you guys again, and, and thanks for having me on. I was, a, I was a big fan of what you guys are doing to support the, the consumer subscription software ecosystem. Yeah, we were um, we were a couple, I think also like Nico, people that uh, were, were wandering through the woods on this uh, brand new space until we, we found each other over the internet. So <laughs> um, it's great. We're, we're, we're finally uh, finally making these connections. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, hey, before we dive into some of the, the meteor topics, and we have a, a pretty big list of talking points to get through, um, but I would like to get a quick overview of kind of the path that led you to be to GP Bullhound, and then, and then even more specifically, kind of what led you to focus on consumer subscription software. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely a pretty winding path. I don't think this is something that anyone would design on purpose, but I'm pretty happy with, with where I've gotten to. So I, I'm originally from Ohio, uh, from a small yeah. town. Yeah, a little, little shout out from one of, one of the greater states of the union. Um, and so, you know, ended up going to business school in Chicago at the University of Chicago, which was, was kind of my entry point into finance. Uh, graduated at one of the worst times of all time in 2008, which is right, you know, right. Also, the yeah. The first recession, exactly. <laughs> what, exactly how you draw the plan. And so uh, joined Lazard as an M&A and then quickly a restructuring banker. Uh, stayed there for five years, and then ultimately I became an operator. You know, so once you advise companies for a few years, you actually want to go get your hands dirty. And so I was an operator for an education company called Spartan College, which is focused on the aviation education uh, space. And then was ultimately recruited to join eSpark Learning, which is an education SaaS business, uh, headquartered in Chicago. And then ultimately, uh, myself and a few other colleagues moved out to San Francisco as we were working with a lot of the larger tech companies, Apple and Google, to, to really get the eSpark software into the, into the schools. And so education is a big passion area for myself. And so I spent, spent two years there helping that team uh, grow and scale. And um, it's a pretty phenomenal company, in my personal opinion. Uh, and then ultimately was, was looking to come back to investment banking, focusing on technology. And so I talked to a few firms and, you know, GPB, GP Bullhound really stood out. Uh, to myself, it's entrepreneur owned. Um, they're focused exclusively on technology. So we don't have, uh, you know, an industrials group or an energy group. These are, we are only tech uh, bankers. And so we focus on, on the middle market, which is kind of, you know, companies that have enterprise values of 50 million up to 250 million. And then we'll go even all the way up to a billion uh, as our firm continues to grow and scale. And, you know, David, you asked the question about CSS or consumer subscription software. It's, it's definitely not a topic a lot of uh, bankers think about. You know, if sitting here in San Francisco, I could take a tennis ball and throw it out my window and I would hit three bankers focusing on software businesses, enterprise SaaS. And so I wanted to, to think a little differently and, and kind of find something I get super excited about and passionate about. And so 
my journey into CSS really started with the sale of AllTrails, which is a hiking app to Spectrum Equity. And so AllTrails was a small business based here in San Francisco, but its potential is just massive. My, my so dad they, has an AllTrail subscription. That's how you know it's big. <laughs> that's how you know it's real. That's exactly how you know it's real. And, and you know, so AllTrails was focusing on people that wanted to go explore in the outdoors. And they offered a free version to a lot of people. But what was super interesting to me and really opened my eyes was, was talking to Jade and Ron about how they monetize that business. And instead of doing ads, which is what, you know, we all grew up with on the internet, uh, they said, like, we could sell an annual subscription to people in exchange for a few additional features, downloadable maps, uh, safety, safety features, you know, additional guidance. And so that type of stuff really got me interested in the category. And I started writing research about it, started talking to some really smart people in the space, um, like Spectrum and Summit, some of the leading investors there. And then ultimately just started creating my own research and trying to create my own uh, knowledge base about the CSS ecosystem. And so uh, it's been phenomenal to watch it grow up. And I, I know we'll talk about that in a little bit about where the space is headed, but it's, it's a space I'm really passionate about. and I've been doing a lot of work there professionally and personally. So I, I'm going to have to ask as the uh, uh, financial simpleton that I am is like, can you give a quick differentiation for people like venture capital, uh, investment banking, like where, where does what you do lie? And like, how, how does that compare to maybe like different types of, uh, yeah, financial stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, great, great question. I don't, what do you call it? Instruments? Stuff? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, there's so many different terms we could go into. So at its core, GP Bullhound is an advisory firm. So our job is to provide advice on mergers and acquisitions. So companies that want to sell themselves or buy someone else, or they want to raise capital. So think like they want to sell 30% of their business to put some, some money in the bank to go out and grow, or just put money in the founder's pockets, right? That's a very common thing we do. What makes us a little unique versus a lot of other investment banks is we also have a, a separate venture capital fund. So we will actually invest our own money onto companies' balance sheets in exchange for a portion of the equity. So it's a very similar to some traditional venture funds like a Sequoia and Dreesen Horowitz. We, we absolutely operate that. But, it's, but if you think about our business, the most of it is the advisory business. So we, we kind of serve, we kind of wear two hats. I sit in the advisory business, but I serve as a scout, if you want to think about it that way, because I'm out here looking at CSS businesses all day. So if I find something interesting, you know, I quickly send it over to our venture team and say, hey, guys, you should take a look at this. It's, it's absolutely something we should invest in. And, and we've made some, some pretty good investments. Our funds have had you know, north of 40% IRR, even though we fly very much under the radar uh, and primarily invest in European investments. Uh, we're an early investor in Spotify, which is one of the OGs, CSS uh, businesses out there. Yeah. Early investors in Slack, investors in Fishbrain, Platomic, uh, Bosu. So, so quite a few uh, different CSS businesses. Interesting. So on the, on the investment banking side, you don't actually have your own capital that you're, that you're maintaining. It's more about facilitating transactions uh, versus Correct. like a traditional firm. Okay. Yeah, so we help, we help, you know, strategic companies think, think big players like Nike um, or Cision that are coming in and buying businesses um, or we'll help private equity, which are businesses that have their own capital right. raised from outside investors come in and take ownership of some of these businesses. And that's exactly with all trails where Spectrum, which is a private equity fund, came in and, and provided their capital to cash out some of the initial founders plus, uh, plus you know, some of the early management team. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Just, um, I talk, we've talked on this podcast before with Nico and in other cases that mm-hmm. in some ways the expected returns and model for venture differs enough for CSS businesses that I think it, opened, it opens up a lot of doors for some of these things that you wouldn't traditionally 
I think of um, private equity investments. I think of different ways of liquidity that don't necessarily... Because have we had a CSS business go public yet? <laughs> there hasn't been a, a real obvious one, right? Bumble's coming soon, right? Which one? Bumble, I think, is... Oh, is, are has, they, okay. Bumble's coming. I mean, but think about, think about the match group, right? Sure. CSS the whole way. You've got Spotify, old, old school CSS business, and then go to the biggest one ever, Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there, there's, actually, there's actually quite a few. And if you go to prosumers, <laughs> right, you could look at Dropbox. For example, most of their most of their users are individuals or small businesses. We call them like prosumer categories. So it's absolutely coming. And there will be, you know, my the easy bet to make is there will be 50 more CSS publicly traded businesses in 10 years than there are today. I, yeah, I don't disagree. I guess you think of uh, when the kind of coverage that IPOs get, it really tends towards business software, right? And uh, And just doesn't get as excited. But I'm sure... I mean, this is recording this on the same day that Calm just announced their new monster round, and and mm-hmm. so I assume that they're on a on a path towards that if that's what they want to do as well. Absolutely. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think one thing that you've kind of mentioned and already alluded to is that we are just in these early days, and this is you know we're we're in like SaaS when when Salesforce hit a hundred million, which I went you know forgive me, but when was that? <laughs> was that like, like ten years ago? Like ten years ago. Yeah, so I, I would absolutely agree we're early, early innings. And, and the way I kind of think about this, it's, it's kind of if you, if you kind of like flashback 10 years in a SaaS software, it's who would buy software that just sits down on your server, you don't own it, why would you pay for that? It doesn't make any sense to me, right? And then you, you quickly see this, that forward-leaning CTOs start to pick it up, they're advancing. It's just like your dad buying an AllTrail subscription, right? Yeah. He might be one of his very few friends that's buying. He's a huge NASCAR fan. I had to convince him last year to, to subscribe to the NASCAR app, which is really good. But he's five dollars a month. He's like, oh, I don't pay for that crap or whatever. But like, I was like, no, you should really do it. It's awesome. And now he's got that. He's got all trails, right? Uh, uh, and this is the the father of a man who runs a, a, a consumer SaaS <laughs> subscription service. So uh, there's a lot there's a lot to go yet out there in like uh, consumer adoption. I think there are. I mean, the, the cool thing is if you kind of look across age ranges, right, you'll see people might have one subscription. Maybe they have Netflix or, you know, if you're, you're into music, maybe you have Netflix and Spotify. And then you're into fitness, so maybe you have like a fit-on subscription or you're into biking, so you have a Strava or a Zwift subscription. And you just kind of start saying this out loud and you start to see more and more areas where people could be spending their money on CSS. And my thesis, which is kind of the Salesforce thesis, is that if you fast forward and you know, five years or really two years, I bet most people will be subscribing to four or five different things on their, through their phone only. And I bet that'll be closer to 10 um, in the next three years. And so I think, you know, the exciting thing about the space is that entrepreneurs are building better products, right? So, I mean, if you think about it, web 1.0 is you're building for the advertiser and hoping to get a couple of consumers to come look at it, right? And that, that was the model. Web 2.0 was, hey, you did a bunch of freemium stuff, either in an app or website format, and then you hopefully try to attract people to come pay for it. But consumers have been conditioned, just like CTOs were and businesses were, to pay for software because it makes your life better. And so if you fundamentally can say that about a product, what's, what's the issue about paying $5 a month or $30 a year? It's, it's really not that much money if it truly makes, you a, makes your day-to-day life better, like your dad with the NASCAR app. Right? He's closer to the drivers. He feels like he's part of the experience. How is how is that a bad thing? And so, you know, the cool thing is, so now NASCAR doesn't have to worry about advertisers. Well, they definitely still worry about advertisers. But <laughs> the NASCAR app, for example, can really focus on providing your dad the best in quality right. service for for five bucks. 
it's that direct exchange, right? That that value delivered for 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 cash, which which makes me you know love what we do here at Revenue Account, which is to enable that uh, yeah. even even more. I think uh, that when I hear this 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 like number of subscriptions and people just just as these niches proliferate, do you ever worry about? I mean, there's always been the specter of subscription fatigue, right? That everybody's like always saying like next year, oh, subscription fatigue is coming, subscription fatigue is coming. Mm-hmm. I also think that there's a, a second potential boundary, which might be, are there, are we going to run out of niches, right? <laughs> is there, is there going to be like, eventually we've, we've figured everything out. Like, how do you, I would say that you know, if you continue to apply the SaaS example, we definitely haven't run out of uh, niches <laughs> and, and growth in the SaaS space. So, how do you think about that in terms of some of these like uh, these naysayers? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a common question I get, um, and I think people are worried they're going to be subscribing to to twenty things and not know about it and have this massive credit card bill. But but if you look at the consumer experience, you actually as a without even thinking software, you actually subscribe to quite a lot. You have a phone bill, a cable bill, a mortgage. You know, these are these are effectively subscriptions, even if we don't call them subscriptions. And so, once again, it's I, I kind of revert back to you will pay for something if it provides value to your life, and if it's in the form of a subscription or a one-off uh, payment, it just changes the thing. Now, I mean, you raise a good point. Like, you probably don't need to subscribe to seven fitness apps. I mean, that's that seems right. a little a little expensive, right? But you might subscribe to a fitness app, an entertainment app, maybe one or two, a reading one, maybe a podcast one. Then you have maybe a family management app or a financial app that you're subscribed family to. Family management app. Ooh, like it's it's one of my biggest categories. If any entrepreneurs are out there listening. Like Life360, is that an, be an example kind of? That's, that's a great yeah. way to think about it. Yeah, you, yeah. I mean, if you kind of go through the ecosystem, right? Bumble is the start of your family app. And then you continue <laughs> all the way through. And then you could quickly have, you know, a, you know effectively like a Microsoft, uh, a Microsoft Power BI for an your family. extremely personal CRM, right? That's <laughs> great. Um, but no, I think there's there's some huge categories, right? And you asked the question about niches. And the cool thing about CSS is it's different than B2B SaaS, right? Niches, you know, consumers, there's 7 billion globally. And, you know, even if you just go with ones that are using cell phones, you're at 5 billion. That's a pretty large number. So a very, very small niche of people that like to play curling in in the North American hemisphere, right, is probably 10 million people. And if you get 1 million people to subscribe, that's a you know 10% hit rate. And if you could you know charge $30 million or $30 a person, that's a pretty good business. And so not all these businesses will be massive columns, right? With 4 million paying subscribers focusing on meditation, and sleep help. A lot of these will be niches, but they'll be phenomenal businesses that you can own and operate uh, and scale pretty quickly. That's interesting that you're in, the, in that kind of mid-market space. Because when you talk to, to VCs, it's all about, you know, you, you need to be a billion-dollar business to take venture capital. How do you think about those businesses, both as an investor and as an investment banker, that the, being able to scale up to that 50 to $250 million that you primarily deal with, um, how does the fundraising look different? How does the growth trajectory look different? You know, and and how does that look different than the calms and the headspaces and the light tricks that are that are billion dollar businesses already? Yeah, I mean, just just like in every other uh, investment cat- investment banking you know industry, there, there's always categories of businesses. Some will be high flying, you know, category dominant players, right? Where they're going to try to go after the biggest part of the TAM, right? And that's you know you can say like calm and headspace, right? They're going to go be huge multi you know billion dollar businesses, and they already are. 
Um, but there'll be a lot of other ones that are lifestyle businesses and they're going to spit off a lot of cash and that can provide someone, you know, a really nice living and provide investors a really good return. Now it might not be, you know, like a hundred X, like a calm or something like that, but it'll still be a really nice return. And the great thing about the ecosystem in CSS is it's, it's constantly evolving and people that are looking for a hundred X returns are, are absolutely there. There's going to be people that are going to looking, be looking for, you know, five X return. And there'll be people that are looking for 20 to 30 or uh, 20 to 30% IRR over time. And so you're seeing a bunch of products that are starting to come out that are supporting that. So venture capital exists. There's absolutely like Bravo, for example, is doing some really cool stuff on the funding area uh, to support uh, people that don't want to take dilutive equity capital, but just need some marketing dollars to kind of try out this. And so it's an extension of your credit card uh, extensively. I mean, some of these transactions that you're seeing that are hitting that 50 especially in the consumer space, are, are you seeing companies that did take funding or, or at this point still kind of seeing more bootstrapped or friends and family round, angel invested? Like, you know, uh, yeah, what kind of funding do you see coming, getting a company to that 50 to 250 million uh, range? Yeah, the, the great thing about CSS is it's, it's so cash flow beneficial to the entrepreneur because effectively you're getting paid up front to deliver a service to someone. And it's, it's effectively a zero marginal cost, right? To deliver one additional product to someone. And if you're delivering a good product, they'll continue to subscribe and it doesn't cost you any more to get them. And so the, the really thing I get excited about CSS is it can be done with very limited capital raised, right? All trails had raised very limited amount of money. Uh, I currently have a client in the job search space that's almost entirely bootstrapped. They raised $500,000 a few years ago and they're doing close to 15 million in revenue. And so they yeah, have wow. three investors, right? It's two angels and, and kind of the CEO. And so I, I see these types of businesses all across the board. Um, and it's, it's really exciting to me because it does, you know, it allows people to, to kind of buy and build at a pace they're comfortable with. And they don't have to swing for the fences, which is, you know, effectively the venture capital model. And there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But since it's so scalable and, you know, we can tie into kind of the flywheel around CSS and how the cash flow metrics work. But because you can scale these without a lot of external capital, it can be grown um, by just an individual or a small group of people without the need to raise a, a big venture capital round. That's what I, I think it's been kind of interesting to see over the last, you know, I've, I've been on the, the side of trying to pitch one of these businesses to traditional Sand Hill, <laughs> or at least fly on the wall for those pitches. And they've been, they've been tough until you like really have something. But I've kind of have seen this evolution with, you know, some more investors who are savvy, they kind of understand that. Because it does, it actually kind of turns the need for venture capital on its head a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because you don't need this like a massive outlay. People always ask us like, uh, oh, what's your enterprise customer look like? And I'm like, you'd be really surprised. Like it, <laughs> it can be like all the way from blue chips, like all the way to like three or four people who are pulling down a million bucks a month because they, you know, they've cracked some acquisition strategy and scaled it. Um, so uh, yeah, I have to think that that's being slightly... I don't know if it's disruptive, but there at least is some some kind of alpha here if you understand this like asset and like how to actually work with it. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely an, a strategy that the entrepreneur is going to make a decision on, right? You want if, if especially if it's let's say it's in the I don't want to keep going back to meditation, but let's say it's in the biking category, right? Uh, Strava and Swift both just raised huge rounds because they're kind of going toe to toe for you know to be the dominant biking platform out there. And there's other players that are that are a little bit smaller that haven't raised those big exciting rounds, but they're really nailing a niche within biking or within or within uh, outdoor activity. That's pretty exciting. So there's definitely a lot of paths available to people. Yeah. When when you're looking to the next ten years, as 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 you were talking about earlier, 
Where, where do you see the consumer spend coming from? This is something we, we kind of talked about a little bit with Nico, but if, if consumer subscriptions, you know, uh, you, you showed in a presentation some numbers that it's estimated to be $150 billion by 2022. And then, you know, over the next 10 years, I imagine you're forecasting, you know, much larger growth with subscription fatigue and kind of all these things in the mix. Where do you see consumers kind of pulling that spending from to then start spending on software, even if they value it, like they, it's got to come from the budget somewhere. Where, where do you see mm-hmm. that coming from? The great thing about these businesses is that it's not a big chunk of your budget. You know, if you think about a Strava subscription, right, it's, it's just a little over $30 a year. That's, that's a movie night, right? That's not, a, that's not a big chunk of change out. And if you're passionate about biking, there's a good chance you've bought a $1,500 road bike. So we're not talking about a massive, massive individual spend. It's the accumulation of thousands and millions of consumers that are really pulling that money forward. And so, you know, if you wanted to take it out of a bucket, right, just assume that everyone's only got $100 to spend a month, you know, I see some of it coming out of entertainment. A lot of, you know, it's effectively you're using a service, you know, if if it's improving your productivity at work, maybe you're spending less money on, you know, you take one last cab ride, right, and you effectively can get a subscription to Speechify. You know, so there's there's a lot of lot of ways this money could come out and and really streamline your life and kind of cut spending from from other other categories. But I don't think it's I don't think it's a major incremental spend. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and as you kind of as you see the growth, and I don't uh, we talked before about um, uh, offline about trying to get some numbers on this, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know that anybody's published good numbers on where we're at currently with consumer subscription spend by individual people on average, and then kind of where we're headed. But, uh, but I would guess that, you know, now we're in the low kind of two digits a year or a month, and that mm-hmm. to, for it to grow 10x, it's not that every single person on earth is going to be spending $1,000 a year on consumer subscription software. Because as you were saying, the, the total addressable market, the total number of people who have mobile devices now and can spend is so huge that the for it to grow tremendously doesn't involve individuals individually spending a ton of money. So maybe, uh, I mean, I, I guess I kind of spoke to most of that, but what are your thoughts on like um, where we're at generally and kind of where we're headed with, with that spend? Yeah. I mean, I, once again, I, I think we're very early. I mean, you'll absolutely, if you kind of pull your, your close friends and networks, right. If, if you're involved in, in tech and, you know, kind of working on with, with tech companies, there's a good chance you're probably already cracking a hundred dollars a year and spend. I was going to say a thousand, a thousand, a thousand or a hundred a month, a thousand a year doesn't seem, especially for like, these are, you know, six, six figure making like city dwelling tech people. Right. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, but you know, that's a median, right? Maybe. I don't think it seems that, that unreasonable, at least in the next decade. Exactly. And especially if, let's say you go over to, you know, we're kind of talking Western world here. If you if you think about kind of some of the, the uh, Asian economies, they pay for podcasts, right? Advertising, they skip most of the advertising uh, internet 1.0 over there. The people are paying one, two, three bucks for podcasts or they're agreeing to subscribe to stuff. And so, you know, you, you can see that quickly scaling. And so like, think about like OnlyFans, right? It's a business that's, that's starting to get a lot of attention, but it should have been getting attention a long time ago. They have hundreds of thousands of consumers that are subscribing to that content. And so you're seeing the same thing happen with Netflix and Spotify. And so, you know, as, as people, you know, continue to grow up, you know, you'll probably subscribe to a dating app, right? Tinder is a free app, but it made $1.2 billion in revenue. 
you know, that, all right, something doesn't sync up there, right? If, if I'm not subscribing to it, then who is? And so I, I think you're going to see people see value in these services because they streamline your life. They make things easier, either in your professional work or your personal work. And the idea of 10 bucks a year for something is not that material. So that's, that's why I get so excited about this category, because if you look at consumer spend at 70% of the, you know, kind of the U.S. GDP, it's a big amount of money that could come towards this sector, even if just a small half a percentage of that slides off and comes into software. Looking at all these trends that people paying for podcasts, things like OnlyFans, things like Substack. Substack's phenomenal. Yeah, it's like you have all these, um, we're seeing kind of this, I'm sure that somebody, some other fancy thought leader has like written something about this on Medium already, but you're just seeing these, um, I mean, the app store being kind of like the opposite of this, but some of these like financial gatekeepers or like some of these barriers to direct exchange of value between very disparate creators and consumers coming down. You're seeing that, you see it with Patreon, you see it with, yeah, all, all of these systems. And I almost wonder if, is that Web 3.0? Do we have a name for 3.0? Is that what we're <laughs> I'm not an investor, so I, I, I don't have these, these thought technologies totally sorted out. That's, that's exactly how I think about it. Like if I was categorizing this, Web 1.0 is advertising supported and free. Web 2.0 is, you know, hey, you can get it free or you can get a premium. But you're seeing some of the, the top name companies and the guys who have big brands, established followings are saying like, hey, we can't make money on advertising, nor do we want to anymore. We're going to go subscription only, right? Wall Street Journal, subscription only. New York Times, subscription only. And so, you know, they they got beat up on ads and they just said like, this isn't a business model we could work anymore. But our information, our services is actually extremely valuable. And so consumers marginal propensity to pay. And now, once again, Jacob, to your point, you're talking about people that are probably have a decent income already, but they want this information, and so they're willing to pay for it. And so that that will proliferate through other services that people want access to something, and they want something in particular, and they want it semi-customized, right? Like I can set up mm-hmm. filters and services. And, and the great thing about CSS businesses is they're they're interactive. It's not a one-way portal where I'm just kicking something out to someone and they interact and they have to deal with it. You think of like a Strava, for example, right? Every time I put my information into Strava, it gets better for me. It's more valuable, yeah. More valuable. And so I, that's why I get super excited about this category. If you think about, I know you guys had like Fitness AI on uh, a few weeks ago. Think about when you could have your Apple Watch and your EarPods sync to that. And you could tell them exactly what weight you're picking up and putting down. And it automatically tracks that in, in the service. That's absolutely something people would pay for. It'd get rid of all the notebooks. It would get rid of you. You needed to take notes. Um, and you're starting to see even more, uh, more businesses coming out that are using sensors that integrate directly into these CSS applications. And so they're going to get better and better and more valuable. I mean, that's what made, that's what made Dropbox so sticky and what made them be able to build a huge consumer is because the, the product gains value over time. I think that's one thing when I talk to folks setting up, just starting to think about monetization, um, I'm always like, try to find out, try to figure out features. Cause there's like the classic, oh, I'm going to charge money for my calculator, subscription for my calculator. I'm like, that's, you'll make a little bit more than you would on like a consumable or a non like a one-time purchase, but it's not going to really be, be different. You have to have something that a user can form a, a long lasting relationship with, they can invest in. Um, and then ideally you're running ahead of them too. Like you're, you're out there, you're building the next features, you're anticipating their needs. So by like, bringing this audience together, it, it, it's so well parallelizes with some of these other audience services, right? Like OnlyFans or Patreon or whatever. You're bringing this like group of people together around something. You're, you're offering a service to them and then, you know, you're investing. It's, it, it really is so much more, even then I think B2B SaaS is so much more community oriented 
And it'll be interesting to see more of like when I was working on Elevate, we never really unlocked any of the community aspect of these things. We have here as building revenue cat, we have that's been interesting as like a parallel mm-hmm. in a B2B context. I think it was Eric, we had a call a few months ago. We we kind of riffed on the idea of religions. Uh there's obviously a lot of examples of religious uh related apps and like uh, Bibles and Qurans that you can that you can mm-hmm. subscribe to and things like this. But I actually think, you know, you look at calm. <laughs> And even like zero and fasting and stuff like this, it's like there's kind of a fine gray line between these things becoming religions. And this is going to be like weird and offensive or something probably. But but I actually do think that there will be some category of CSS. Like going back to the, are, are we going to run out of niches? No, because I think like, I mean, Scientology is a bad example, but you'll have like the benevolent version of Scientology come up as a consumer subscription, as an app. Like an app is... You know, especially in the COVID world, like an app is a a good vehicle for these kinds of like community building things. Anyway, that's my like crazy SaaS man, CSS man rant. But <laughs> if you think about it, right? You know, in the the Vatican's working with Pray.com, right? Because right. they need they need a way to reach their their followers. And, and unfortunately, with COVID, like church is tough, but engaging with people digitally is a great way to in, continue to build that community. And I think, I think especially within some niches within CSS, community is, is really what it's all about. Like, look at Zwift, uh, the biking app, right? You're doing that because you want to race your buddy. And, like, maybe you live in Austin and your buddy lives in New York, and that's just not possible. But a $30 subscription, I think it's like 15 bucks a month to Zwift, and you're racing him every two weeks. That's an awesome experience. You're not going to get anywhere else. It's interesting to reflect on it against, um, you know, I was paying subscriptions for things like World of Warcraft, like these uh, these non-mobile contexts, but I ha- you haven't seen it. It's kind of adapted in a different way in mobile. Um, I mean, gaming went there hard, right? Gaming's gone a subscription really quickly because they realize like spending a ton of money for these massive titles is really hard to do. But you have a subscription or like, you know, some people are doing these in- in-game payments and you can get substantially more revenue because the marginal propensity of the value you can deliver to your consumer goes up. First, pay $29.99, you hit the game, and you kind of walk out of it, right? You know, Fortnite's doing way better that than the bat with their high percentage right, yeah. spenders. Versus like your standard AAA title, right? And you, you're starting to see that in CSS, right, where the subscriptions just aren't all the same. There's, you know, there's some that offer, a, there's a pro, then there's a premium, then there's a platinum, and there's ways to effectively have positive net revenue with these subscriptions, just like you do in enterprise SaaS. Yeah, we, we've, David and I have talked about this a few times is, is one of the challenges is I think with, and you mentioned it too, is like the, the price points, there's not that big a range in price points for these things, you know, like low end, uh, whatever, you know, $30 a year, high end, like a couple hundred, a hundred bucks a year, but it doesn't range all that much. And yeah, and it's capped in most cases, right? You kind of have like all your paying users going to make this much. Maybe there's a little bit of tiering in there versus like even Tinder, I don't know what the split is, but a lot of their revenue, pro- I assume, comes from they have like consumable purchases as well in their app that they've 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 d- intelligently they've done like okay, we're going to get the the steady with the consumer the subscriptions, but then we're also going to like put up these like scalable spending models to like try mm-hmm. and capture these like big spenders. Yep. But I think that I think that that's just a constraint we need to work in, right? It's a constraint of these business that I think is good because actually I think a I think uncapped spending has like uh, externalities that aren't really captured by the people that, that push those things. Um, so I think it's it's probably good restraint. But then it also like, you know, I, and this goes back into the sort of, uh, you know, asset class or like sort of how we think about these businesses because it does, 
kind of change your timelines. It kind of changes your, um, like how you think about growing the business. I mean, it also changes a lot of your cost structures around things like community or um, things around support. I think, you know, you're, you're dealing with an ACV in the tens of dollars, right. As opposed to a SaaS company that's in thousands. So it really does like change just like also changes like the tooling you need, which is in revenuecamp.com. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was gonna say you're exactly right. I mean, while the revenue looks similar, the cool thing about CSS is usually the, the cost structure is wildly different from SaaS uh, because most of it's self-serve, right? So you're doing, you're spending, you know, decent more on marketing because you're trying to reach those consumers where they need to be reached. But, but some of the best CSS businesses build their own, their own funnels, right? They're using organic traffic to come in or referrals like, Calendly's, Calendly, the calendaring tool is one mm-hmm. of my favorites because they get marketing every time one of their consumers mm-hmm. used it. Just, it just pounds my hit. It's my inbox five times a day. So, I mean, I think that's what you're seeing some of these best guys do and they don't need customer support, right? It's, it's self-serve. It's an FAQ page within, within the app or the, uh, you know, on the website, however they need it. So your margins and your cash flows on these businesses can actually be substantially higher even at earlier stages than some of your best SaaS businesses. They don't need to burn for, for years and years and years. And mm-hmm. you don't typically see these $100 million losses like you do in a lot of the SaaS businesses. Right. I, I think one of my attractions too is just the dynamism in the, in the industry. Just like how many, like the births and deaths of some of these businesses can be, can be pretty fast, right? Um, but that's good. It's, I mean, that's how we find niches that need served is by you know, developers having access to capital, you know, and, and these little sips is all you need, right? It's like to, to get something off the ground and to test it, which I, I, I don't know, I think it's you know, a big advantage over, over other, other verticals. Yeah, totally agree. You can iterate so much faster, right? And you can, you can really just focus on your, on your core customer and then, you know, see what, see what catches. It's kind of, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple people that kind of think of your TAM1, TAM2, TAM3. Your TAM1 is super small. You're solving like the near pain point for them, but you should be quickly thinking about what's, you know, look at like calm, they focus on meditation, but they quickly went to TAM too, which is people that have trouble sleeping. And then, you, you know, you could quickly find this happening and, you know, Strava was biking. Now they're running and now they're horseback riding. And so you could quickly go from TAM to TAM to TAM uh, as you think about it um, and how these businesses scale and, and what their core offering really can provide. And that, that's interesting because um, at that stage, as a, somebody building, and this is, I think, what maybe differentiates, we were talking about these different, like the Calms and the Stravas going for the moon versus these, you know, lifestyle businesses or businesses with like sort of different growth trajectories. I think that might be the core difference is mm-hmm. if you are really in love with a specific vertical and a specific TAM and that's what your passion is, that might put some sort of cap or some sort of like adjusted curve on how fast your business will grow. Um, versus folks like like Calm or or Strava that are that are yeah they're mastering these like separate sort of adjacent verticals, and and then it's actually because the business becomes much more about building the machine that attacks different verticals, right? And so that's you know if anybody's listening to this that's kind of trying to decide what camp they're in, that might be a good guiding principle. Are you just super passionate about this problem you're solving? Then, then maybe that's a bit more the path you should take, and maybe don't go out and raise that giant venture round right away. <laughs> um, versus if if you know you're fascinated by this this idea of like building a machine that attacks different verticals and learning about the space and consumers and how to listen to users and do product, mm-hmm. then then maybe like it opens up some of these like bigger opportunities. Well, there's other ways to think about that too. If you're super passionate about one niche, right, you want to stick with your first hand, like you know, fishing or fish brain, which all those hands up as a GPB uh, portfolio company, they've, they, instead of expanding to hunting, what they've done is they've just gone deep on fishing. So they've launched like a marketplace, 
right? So now you can buy the goods and services you you want to use to be excited about your passion through Fishbrain in addition to, you know, learning about the best spots to fish. Which is outside of the subscription world altogether, right? Mm-hmm. At that stage, you're doing, uh, you're just doing... You're leveraging your subscription to, to help provide additional services to your members. Yeah. So you, like, you get a discount from Bass Pro Shops, right? For being a Fishbrain member. So like you could start to see this uh, spiral pretty quickly. And that's that net 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 revenue retention where you can go deeper and deeper into the niche where you can increase that revenue through those kind of auxiliary services. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. Yeah, you can you can uncap that like ACV cap that I was sort of alluding to before. Exactly right. And Fishbrain is such a fascinating one. They're they're actually a revenue cat customer as well. But oh, cool. and I, I've used them as an example a, a lot, talking about this. They're space. my favorite. They're my favorite. Like, have you heard of this giant company? Probably not. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but speaking of like building the machine, um, in one of your recent presentations, you were talking about the the CSS flywheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes. But why don't you just kind of step us through your thinking and the on this flywheel of like how to build these really great businesses and kind of those key things to be thinking about as you build it. Yeah. And the one just massive asterisk I'll start off with is, you know, I'm, I'm writing about this from 30,000 feet. I would love <laughs> to hear from, I'd love to hear from people that are on the ground building these and let them tell me what I got wrong. They're always like a year ahead of what I think is going on. <laughs> when I talk to, when I talk to the people on the front lines, I'm like, you're doing what, what? <laughs> it's amazing. No, I mean, that's, that's the cool spot. But yeah, so to, to David's question on the flywheel. So, you know, what I'm trying to do is educate both investors and, you know, just the, the common, you know, common entrepreneur that, that's thinking about starting a business in space about how do you make these businesses work? And which is translated into how do you make these businesses valuable, right? Because we're all, everyone who's, you know, starting as an entrepreneur is trying to find something that works for them, makes a successful business. And so the, the North Star in CSS is, is recurring revenue. Right. So you want to develop a product that is so valuable to someone they are willing to pay you not once, but twice, three times, four times, five times. And so then you have to think about like what is going to be valuable to someone over time, not just at the point where they need it today. It's when they're going to need it. You know, maybe it's not tomorrow, but it might be next month or, you know, when they go on a hunt with Onyx, it's next fall. So how do you convince them that a recurring subscription is, is the right tool here? And so the first thing I start about is I think about is, is your content. You know, what, what are you delivering to them? Is it a, is it a service? Is it, is it information? Like if you look at movie, which is a really interesting Netflix competitor, they're doing prestige films, right? So they are doing something that you're not going to get somewhere else and you're getting that first subscription. So that's something that not a lot of the people have. If you think about like all trails, it's, it's detailed hiking uh, information that has reviews and photos and, and you're not going to get that on Google. And so that's premium content that's encouraging you to come to them. And it has to be delivered in a really easy to understand consumer interface. The UX, UI has to be really good. And then what I get really excited about is the proprietary data. So if you're, as we mentioned, like the best CSS apps are two-way streets where you're putting data into that app and an exchange is putting back a better service for you or better information for you. So it's customizing uh, your view and your view is different than David's view. And Jacob, when he opens up his app, is going to get different information. And and a lot of these guys are just starting to scratch the surface here, but it's getting really exciting. I think as more and more wearables come in, ear pods, different sensors, it becomes a much more valuable service. And then the, the one thing when you think about growth then is user acquisition. Um, what investors are really focusing on right now is are you paying for users through Facebook and Google, which, which can spike and have prices go way up, like during an election. You know, your average cost to acquire a customer on Facebook was much more expensive 
in October, November than it was March and April. So that's that's a big thing people are focusing on. So if you think about scalable businesses that don't require venture capital, you know, finding an organic channel to acquire customers is extremely important. So are you getting referrals or are people kind of sharing, you know, the business with other use when they use it, like a Calendly or a Strava? And then um, one of the key things that people are trying to figure out is, is monetization and pricing strategy. And I talk about this in the report, but it's effectively, where's your paywall? You know, people kind of are kind of using either Web 2.0, which is a freemium model, and then they try to convince you to convert for additional features, or they're saying our product's so good, you pay us today. And so I think understanding your monetization, understanding what the propensity to pay is, is extremely important. Is $9.99 the right price or is $19.99 the right price? And, you know, those are, if you pick one versus the other, you potentially double your revenue mm-hmm. without losing any, any conversions. And so people are really playing around with this to define, you know, what's the right uh, location of your paywall, what's the right amount of stuff to give away for free or incentivize people to, to start engaging with your service, start putting information into the service. And then when do you, when do you try to charge them? And that's an extremely important conversation. I cannot overemphasize that enough. So understanding, you know, where your competitors are pricing at or where, you know, an alternative good would be priced at is extremely important as an anchor point for people to think about. And then the last two points uh, is, are you going for a niche user base initially, or are you really chasing a large TAM? And that's, that's really important to investors. Um, but once again, uh, I wouldn't let this be your main focus. I would be focusing on some of the other ones first to deliver the best product for your niche because your niche is probably huge. If you think it's maybe, you know, if you say World of Warcraft, right, we know that's millions of users, right? And there's, you know, there's, there's a ton of people that are into hunting and people don't really think about that here on the West Coast. But if you go to Ohio and Michigan, there's a lot of people that are very passionate about that. And so while it may seem niche to me uh, in sitting in San Francisco, I know that most of my friends are big hunters back in Ohio. So it's actually much bigger than I think. And then also you think about your competition, right? Would you rather be competing in the fitness space, which is a huge TAM, but it's going to have hundreds of competitors, new guys coming in every day, uh, lots of venture capital sitting there. And then the final piece is your return or retention, which is, you know, that's what all these other components are all driving towards is convincing someone to pay you a second time. And that's a that's the second biggest thing after user acquisition that investors are focused on is is are people leaving your service because they're not getting enough value from it, or are they leaving it because they're not engaged with it, they're not using it enough? What's what's the the drivers of that retention? And so if everything else in your your premium content, your proprietary data, the pricing is fair, you should be able to keep a lot of those users around. And the great thing is, in as CSS evolves with Apple Pay and Google Pay, PayPal, like people don't just turn off because of bad credit cards anymore. It's kind of a solved feature through the Apple Store is that if they change their credit card through Apple Pay, it's another simple measure for you to be able to charge them uh, on a very fair basis with a heads up that they're going to get charged for something. But if you're delivering quality content and a valuable service, your churn rates will go way lower. So happy to dive into any of those, David. But it's a it's a pretty important uh, mindset to think about. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was creating the notes for this, I didn't even think this. But as you talk through it, I wish we could spend. 30 minutes and do a whole podcast on each of those segments. Like I kept wanting to interrupt you and like stopping myself. There's just so much to unpack there, but I think you, and, and what I appreciated about your, your presentation, and we'll link to this in the show notes, is it, that's a really good, like high level summary of what people in this space should be thinking about. And so like we could deep dive on each of those individually and we could spend, I mean, we really could spend an hour on each of those 
you know, talking about user acquisition and thinking about like so many people are building around Facebook being the acquisition strategy. Well, guess what? In 2021, that's going to change big time with Apple essentially deprecating the IDFA. And so it's like there, there's so much to, to, to discuss in each of those little segments that and, and, I, and I loved what you said about that one specifically about like trying to find even if you are spending on Facebook and other stuff, finding other ways to diversify your attention and finding organic channels to, to complement and and to amplify the money you are spending on ads. Anyway, so I could, uh, yeah, we, we could deep dive on all of those. I, I will, I will, I will, hold on, I will deep dive on, on one okay. thing, which I think the, I think we met, we kind of touched on this, so it tied, tied some things from earlier in the conversation, but this whole idea of like premium content, I think is something that a lot of devs miss out on. There's this data, the intake is important, but this like content I'm noticing more and more with the most successful examples. And I was going to add another example of content being community as a form of content. But this is something I think when, I, when we were working on Elevate way back in the day that we kind of, we were already a content company because we were in education, but we didn't really realize that a product that we were building like this is a content product until we were already mm-hmm. in it. Like, yeah, we need to be producing something. And I think Zero is a really great example of a company that's thought about that content first. Like they've got, you know, they brought in an external expert to help them generate content. They've, they've, they've made that a big part of the experience for two reasons. One, it's brand building. It drives these organic channels because that content is shareable. Um, but then also it, it sets up this expectation that you're getting into this more than just something to track your fast or something to track your biking or whatever. You're getting into this like whole community uh, and this whole ecosystem of content and then, yeah, that, that feeds back into we talking about churn and driving churn down. And, and what, what I think we're still so early and in this whole thing that I wonder if we're so concerned about churn now because we don't know what like a five-year churn horizon looks like and how <laughs> these like, for I think the best apps, I think Calm's probably seeing it now, which is why they're able to like go out there and, and really raise. Like I've had my call subscription for a very long time and like I'm never going to turn it off probably. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's going to also start to dominate as far as like these, these, these things that, um, you know, as far as just reflecting on how early we are in this, in this, uh, this story. You hit on a really cool spot. I mean, when you go into content then, right, do you have to develop the content or are your users going to create the content for you? Right. So like one of the big benefits of all trails is that every time I go hiking, I'm creating content for all trails for free. Right. Right. And so that, so it's different than Netflix where Netflix has to go and, stuff everything right, right? there's movies, nothing right? interactive expensive. in netflix it's kind of shocking actually when you think about it maybe that would be uh that would cause a revolt if like i went into there were comments on my movie suddenly <laughs> in netflix but i think they i think they've a b tested that a little bit where you could see what your friends are watching oh and stuff really like that um i don't think it went well i don't uh, think people wanted everyone that's to know a- that you're you're watching some different stuff or something that's maybe not what your public persona would be, would admit to watching. <laughs> this is one of the things I saw people light up Quibi about though, as well, was that they, it was all very like broadcast. Like they didn't hit, they had content nailed. They had a lot of content, but they didn't have any of these like sort of other expectations that you would, you know, you would have for this. These, I think mobiles too is just different from, like I would feel very like intruded upon having a social experience hit me on my TV, <laughs> but for some reason it's more normalized on a mobile device. So. That's absolutely right. You're, you're, you're bred and consume social networks on your phone. That's very normal these days. Yeah. But if, yeah, somebody's Facebook me on my TV, I'm not, I'm not cool with that. That's, that's different. That's different <laughs> to kind of wrap things up, I did want to uh, ask about the, 
Uh, and you, you actually made a, mo- a note on this about the evolving investment ecosystem. And just that, like, as, as you were talking about, kind of Web 1.0 had its, had its kind of uh, the start of that tech and software investment. And then Web 2.0 saw a phase shift. And then with SaaS and everything, we've seen that change dramatically. What, what do you see happening in the investment space? And where do you see this, this going? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of back to the Salesforce analogy, right? Where, where very few investors were investing in B2B SaaS because that just, that just wasn't a thing at the initial, like no one understood it. No one thought it would be adopted that much. And, and we're kind of a year or two past that stage here in the CSS space. Some of the really smart investors, uh, and I think venture investors like True Ventures or Lightspeed that were there pretty early or putting money early into CSS businesses. And you're starting to see the, the next wave, like a Spectrum or a Summit or a, the Shernan Group coming in. And they're kind of making the growth equity investments that I think about, which are, hey, we're not going to buy your company, but we're going to give you 20, 30 million, 40 million, go out and really grow this thing. And then the cool thing about the space is you're starting to see some of the big investors come in and, and kind of provide that next level of exit opportunities for both the entrepreneur and those earlier investors like Blackstone buying Bumble, right? You know, that's a big CSS business where your best customers churn. If you're successful, those customers <laughs> leave dating, which a lot of people don't think about, but it's going to be fascinating in the S1. Um, and then you're seeing, you're starting to see uh, like KKR bought into Zwift, right? That's a bike gaming company. Right? They don't have any physical goods whatsoever. It's pure consumer subscription software. So you're seeing the big guys come in and put billion-dollar valuations on some of these. And then as we talked about in the beginning, public markets are going to be pretty receptive to these. I think some of the best ones are going to come out and show these phenomenal cash flow characteristics, uh, the ability to grow with hardly any spend. You know, Match Group stock has soared. Peloton, I think we're all very familiar with what they've been able to accomplish uh, with both a hardware and a consumer subscription software business model. So the, the path is laid here. Um, so public investors are clamoring for these. Uh, and, you know, I think we'll see a lot more over the next couple of years. So a lot of people are looking into it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, to go ahead and wrap up, um, where can people find you online? Anything else you want to uh, mention before we wrap up? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty available. I always like to chat with, with entrepreneurs or investors. You know, this is an area I'm super passionate about. So, you know, you can find me at, at GP Bullhound uh, emails, eric.crowley at, at gpbullhound.com. And all our research, by the way, including what David's talking about is, is on our website. Uh, I'm on Twitter at CrowXU, pretty responsive there. And then, you know, you can always go to LinkedIn, which is, uh, you know, another example of a consumer subscription software business with LinkedIn premium, not to, not to plug the category, but it definitely exists. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I encourage people to reach out. I actually love it. Um, as you can tell, I geek out about this stuff and it's, it's something I'm really passionate about. So happy to have a 30-minute conversation with, with pretty much anybody. I'll back that up and say the first time I, I encountered you was through this like PDF I found that was the first like fancy investment banker thesis thing I ever saw on consumer subscriptions. So uh, that was my first encounter. And then I was lucky enough to get to work with you on your second iteration or the, the most recent iteration of it. Um, so yeah, I, I have to say, I have to recommend it. We'll have a link in the show notes as a medium blog that, that tears apart your, or tears down your most recent one. Um, but I, I definitely think it's worth going through because there's really good data in there that you've put together. Yeah. We'll, we'll link to all that in the show notes. And it's kind of interesting. We were talking about this early that earlier that we're like, we're still so early in the space. I remember in like April, I think Eric, you reached out to me and then I was telling Jacob, I was like, Hey, you should really talk to this guy, Eric. He did that subscription thing. And like, he's going to do another one. And it's like, like there, there, there aren't these like big established kind of known players in the space that have these, like, uh, I think of, uh, Mary, 
Mary Meeker's report. It's like, yeah, like there's going to be that of the, that's you, you, Eric. That's you. Yeah. Right. It's I don't like, have much time guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need more slides. Next. <laughs> All right, you got it. I'll get to work. <laughs> All right. Well, Hey, this was, this was super great. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thanks Eric. Thanks for your time. Absolutely guys. Big fans. Talk to everyone soon. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.